Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. As we get into the Word this morning, I've asked Brant to come and open the Word for us because I like his voice. Um, but I like, you know, some of the older church traditions do this thing where they have somebody come up and read the Scripture uh, for us. And just we're going to start here this morning. So Brant, come and read to us from Matthew chapter 13. 13. Notice he said older. I'm an older hmm. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Okay. This is the NIV. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your eyes because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown among the, or along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Thank you, Brent. You're welcome. Well, welcome back to the Word, everybody. Are you excited to get into this today? I can tell you why I'm excited that we're diving into this passage. Um, 
I've had this feeling as I've been thinking about the future and throughout the summer and going into the fall, like looking further down the road, I just feel like God has somewhere new that he wants to take us as people. Uh, I feel like he's opening some new doors and has some things in store for you and I that I'm excited about. Um, But I feel like as I, you know, I tend to run ahead. Anybody else have that problem when you get excited about something? You tend to be there instead of here. I feel like the Lord was saying, Ryan, you need to pause for a moment. Just pause for a moment. Because how many of you guys know, before we go to a new place with God, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to get ready to step into those new things with God. So last week, CJ was talking to us about our minds, and I want to take just two weeks and talk to us a little bit about our hearts, the condition of our hearts, and being ready for the things that God has for us. Because we can't just jump into the deep things of God, right? You can't microwave the things of God, as Dr. Ogan Lessie tells us. We need to posture our hearts and get ready to receive from the Lord. Amen? So we're going to take two weeks and look at a moment when Jesus teaches about our hearts, when he talks to us about the condition, the readiness, the receptivity of our hearts. And he does it by talking about soil. Now, I'm not much of a gardener. Anybody else in that camp like, yeah, I don't know what to do with a spade? Anybody? All right. Thank you for your honesty. I've got three separate garden plots happening right now around my my home, and we have like a community garden as well. I've got three separate plots for gardening, and none of them are doing well. (laughs) Not a single one of them is succeeding. And I'll, I'll tell you this, it has nothing to do with the Northeast Ohio heat wave that we're having. And it has nothing to do with that odd frost that we had, another treat of Northeast Ohio weather, that we had a frost in the beginning of May, right? It doesn't, it's not from either of those things. In all three cases, the problem with my garden plots is the condition of the soil. The condition of the soil. How many of you guys know that if you garden, you can pull weeds all day long, you can water for weeks, but if your soil isn't right, you're going to have a meager harvest, right? I guess I do know something about gardening. If your soil is not right in the first place, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. In this parable, which is so profound but so simple, Jesus talks to us about our soil of our heart. He unpacks it. Three of the Gospels tell this almost word for word, the words of Jesus here. It may be familiar to you, especially if you're joining us on our Follow Together Discipleship Rhythm as Bill was talking about, one of the things Dave Beering is taking us into is this parable, briefly. It's a parable about the condition of our hearts because our hearts are so important. Our hearts are so important. If you want to press into the things that God has, maintaining an open, soft, pure, clean heart before him is everything. It's everything. Proverbs tells us this, guard your heart above all things, for from it flows your life. From it flows our lives. We need to pay attention to our hearts and how receptive, in particular, they are to God's truth in our lives. This is an everyday parable. I just want to say something. Maybe you've heard Matthew 13 or or Luke 8 or Mark 4 many, many times in your life. But this isn't a parable where we just say, oh, um, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. That means I've received his word. I guess I'm the good soil. Sometimes we get trained to think that way. This is an everyday parable, because every day, how many of you guys know that the condition of my heart is different every morning? I'm dealing with different things. My heart might be a mess this morning. I might be in a good place next morning. We're fickle fickle people as human beings, aren't we? So this is an everyday parable, and we need to recognize, what's my heart doing this morning? 
Amen? My hope is this. As we spend two weeks just looking at this incredible teaching from Jesus, I think we're going to be equipped to know, to be able to spot what's going on in our hearts, number one. And then when we realize what's happening inside of us, then we can do something about it, right? Then we can actually take some practical steps to prepare the soil of our heart for Jesus. Amen? Are you with me? You know, it's far more popular in our time that if we feel our hearts getting hard or something like that going on, it's a lot more popular for us to just not pay attention to what's happening on the inside or to shift the blame. Well, I'm feeling that way because of what that person did to me, right? But the Bible teaches us something really important. You and me are responsible for our hearts. We can say that today. Because in our world, we don't believe that. We believe that the responsibility of our hearts falls on everybody else. They should, you know, be affirming everything about us. They shouldn't be, you know, arguing with us. Whatever it may be, you and I are responsible for the soil of our hearts. That's what the Word teaches us. And so we're going to dive into this, and here's what we're going to do. Jesus describes four different types of soil in this passage, four conditions of the heart, and we're going to go two by two. I'm looping together. Uh, the first and the third that he talks about this week, because I think that they're the most familiar to us. I think they're the easiest ones for us to identify inside our own chest what's happening in the first and the third. And next week, we're going to get to that good soil. We're going to learn about the fruitful stuff. So here's the deal. you got to come back next week if you want to hear the conclusion. See what I did there? Come on. Come on. Week after week. Consecutive weeks in church, that's where we get to the good stuff, baby. Come on. Join us. I know it's summertime, but let's not forsake meeting together like Hebrews says. Amen? But as we examine each of these kinds of soil, we're going to look at what Jesus says about it. We're going to look at what else the Word says about when our hearts look like that. And then we're going to talk about some practical ways we can open up our hearts to Jesus. Amen? Amen. You ready to roll? Okay, the first type of soil. What does Jesus say? He says, some seed. First of all, he says, quite clearly, he says, the seed represents the word of God, God's truth, God's reality being deposited into our hearts. But some seed fell among, along the path, along the path. And very clearly, in all three of the Gospels, he tells us that what happens when the seed falls among the path is the enemy snatches it away. The enemy snatches it away. First things first, when we come to a passage like this, we need to be real about what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. There is a real accuser of the brethren that is out there. And he wants desperately to keep you and I from knowing the truth according to God for our lives. He wants to keep us from knowing God's best, God's reality at all costs. He will do anything to try and distract us and disrupt it in our lives. And how many of you guys know the enemy knows how to push our buttons? Anybody aware of that in your life? I know I certainly am in my life. Paul tells us that the enemy has tools that he uses in your life and mine. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. We're not oblivious to the ways that the enemy works. As believers, we recognize he has tools that he wants to use. And so today... As we look at the enemy in our lives, I just want to talk about two tools that the enemy uses that we see in this passage. Number one, the enemy uses lies. Lies. Really simple. Word says that he's the father of lies. That he's been lying since the beginning. That when he lies, he's speaking his, his native tongue. The enemy is a liar. And he wants to steal away the truth of God 
and replace it in our lives with his lies. Really simple. He wants to twist the words of God. How many of you guys know that the enemy has been twisting the words of God for a long time? Read the Genesis account, as Bill was talking about. What's the first thing he does? He takes what God said and he says, did God really say? Did God really say that to you? Now, I like pointing that out because the reality is, how many of you guys know the old saying is true that, you know, uh, the best lies, the ones that take fruit, they have a little bit of truth in them, right? Hmm? Half-truths. Almost truths. The enemy wants to use all these things to disrupt the full reality of God in our lives. The fullness of God's truth. He wants to steal it away. He wants to replace it in our lives. Because he does not want you and I to know that God is desperately, desperately wanting us back. That God is coming after us with his forgiveness and his grace. And that God has a plan for our lives. He doesn't want us to know that. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants us stuck in that pattern that says, you know what, you're not good enough for God. God doesn't want you. God can't use you because you're messed up. You blew it again. That's what he wants on repeat in our mind. And he'll do anything to stop us from seeing the truth of God who loves us, cares about us, wants to be in every moment with us, wants to forgive us, wants to restore us, and wants us to bear much fruit. You see, the lies of the enemy, they're kind of like those birds that Matthew captures from us, for us from Jesus' mouth. Those birds that fly around and they're so elusive, they're so hard to trap in our lives. The lies of the enemy are always there, constant. So let me ask you today, what are the lies that the enemy uses in your life? Have you ever stopped to consider, like when you're saying, why am I acting that way? Well, what lie is that attached to? What is going on inside of me? What are the buttons that the enemy pushes over and over again in your life? How many of you guys know some of us have buttons that's just like, all he has to do is hit that button and I fly off the handle again, right? What are the ways the enemy wants to whisper to you when things get quiet, steal away the truth of God's word. Do you know how he does it? Have you identified some of those things so that you can pray against them, so that you can speak God's truth over them? Do you know those things that the enemy wants to use in your life? Because we need to spot that kind of activity going on in our hearts, right? We need to uproot those lies out of our lives. Tool number one, lies of the enemy. Tool number two, busyness. I'm going to say it again busyness. You know, when Jesus talks about this seed falling here, he says it falls along a path. That's an interesting image. That's a deep thought right there. You see, the seed, it gets sown, but it can't sink in, right? It just kind of like bounces along on the hardened soil of the path and lies there vulnerable to the enemy. It's an easy target. Why? Because the path is well-worn and busy. It's well-trodden. It's been beaten down by repetitive motion. That's what path looks like in our lives. Luke says this. He says the seed gets trampled when it's laying along the path. Well, that's what our hearts look like. And that speaks to us about the way the enemy uses busyness in our lives. Corey Ten Boom famously said, and we've quoted it many, many times, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you what? Busy. Devil can't make you bad. He'll just keep you so busy you can't see straight. And it seems like the enemy's having a field day with this one in our age. Am I right? Never, ever, ever before have we been as busy as we are now. We're so busy we can't see straight half the time. Is that good for us? 
Like, how's that working out for our souls? See, I like to go hiking. I love Northeast Ohio. We got some great hiking in Northeast Ohio. And I, I love the woods. I grew up kind of wandering the woods, imagining myself as like one of the lost boys in Peter Pan, just out in the woods all the time, me and my brothers. I love the woods. And when you go hiking in Northeast Ohio, you can spot those paths through the underbrush where the animals have just those runs that they take, the deer and the, and the, the coyotes and everything. You can spot where it's been well-worn and you can see where it's been well-trodden. Because over time, when they keep running and keep running and keep running, it creates those ruts, doesn't it? You see, sometimes our lives can be like those paths. We get stuck in ruts. We just keep going, keep going. Don't ever stop to even ask ourselves the question, is this good for me? Is it, is it, is it healthy for me? Is it healthy for my family? Our lives can look like that path. Well-worn, beaten down, and, and let's be honest, when we get into that kind of mode in our heart, it's really hard for us to pull ourselves out. Anybody else get into that place and have trouble? Be like, I, don't, I know it's crazy busy and someday I'll get some rest, but I don't know how to stop this thing. This machine just keeps going on. Am I the only one who's experiencing that today? <laughs> okay, all right, good. There's a couple people laughing. But our lives can get like that. And we have to recognize what Jesus is saying to us today. The word of God. God wants to teach us not just by his word, his ways, his reality. He wants to deposit more of his best in our hearts and it will change us from the inside out. But first, we need to get our soil ready so it doesn't just bounce off like that hardened path. Ultimately, the condition of this first soil is hardened. Hardened. Dave Beering, if you've been following along with us, he, he refers to this as a hard heart. A hard heart. And how many of you guys know that the Bible warns us like over and over and over again to not let our hearts get hard? To not let our hearts get hard. The Bible calls us to cultivate a soft heart. A soft heart. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says this. He, he issues a stern warning to the church at Ephesus and he says this. He says, I insist, don't no longer live and follow the ways of the world, he says. I insist on it. You need to be different. He says this, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, ugh, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. They lost all sensitivity, he says. Their hearts are hardened, you know, that's the way we are when we're not following God's ways. But God has a new type of life for you and me that brings fruitfulness, true fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all the things we long to see that we were made to experience with him. We crave those things. We want them. But we don't get there by going our own way, do we? We don't get there by following the path set before us by our culture of crazy busyness. That leads us to be more ignorant Hard-hearted, unloving, calloused. Paul says that leads to a life without sensitivity. We can't feel anything. That leads to being numb. Anybody ever been numb before? I know I have. I don't know anybody who sets off and says, oh, I, just, I want my life to look like Groundhog's Day. Keep doing the same thing over and over again. Predictable, monotonous, uneventful, boring, unfeeling, void of any wonder or excitement. 
But Paul says if we, if we follow the ways of our world, that's where we end up naturally. That's where we head. That life is the life that happens when we follow the way of our culture, indulging every desire, constantly looking for that next dopamine hit from our phone or one of our other many addictions. That's where it leads us. But we have a choice, don't we? We have a choice every morning. We have a choice every day of how we're going to walk, how we're going to live out our lives. And Paul says this, I insist on you living differently than that. I insist on it. He's telling us, hey, the way of Jesus is not going to look natural in our world. If we really want to follow the ways of Jesus, it is not going to look normal, maybe to some friends, colleagues, other people in our lives who aren't following Jesus. They're going to be like, what are you doing? That's weird. Stop that. Right? He says, I insist that you live differently. You stick out. That, that means it's not going to be the easy way for us. It's not going to be the popular way. What does Jesus say? Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. The life that you were made to live with him, it doesn't happen by accident. Right? It doesn't happen by default or by happy coincidence. You don't just stumble into God's best. We need to take conscious action to step outside the status quo and tend the soil of our hearts. Let's look a little bit deeper at what the word says when we have a hard heart, like that first type of soil. Well, look at Jesus' answer when they come to him. They ask him, hey, why are you speaking to people in parables? In verses 14 and 15, he says this, though seeing they don't see, though hearing they don't hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they close their eyes. You know what Jesus is saying in this moment? He's saying that hardened hearts come from conscious choice when we hear God's ways but we don't walk in God's ways. That hardens us. That hardens our hearts. Hardened hearts come from a conscious choice to live our lives according to our ways, our human nature, the desires of our flesh. It hardens our hearts. And here's the reality this morning in church. Every single one of us struggles with this in some way or another. Like, welcome to church. We're all in process. Jesus is working on all of us, so there's no perfect people here. We all struggle with this. We all have different desires and elements of our flesh that pull at us. Paul struggled with it. Read Romans chapter 7, one of my favorite, most encouraging chapters in the Bible. Paul basically is like, I know what I should be doing. I can't bring myself to do it. I don't know why. Something's wrong with me. And I know what I need to not be doing, but I just find myself doing it. Anybody else been there? Come on. Yeah. All right. We got some honesty in church, finally. I know what I want to see happen, but I don't want to take the steps to get there, Paul says. I got to tell you, that's like, that should be um, like the caption for 2023. I know what it looks like to live a healthy lifestyle. I know what good decisions are, but I find myself just going with the flow. I've heard this so many times as a pastor. I know what I want to see, God's best. I just haven't been taking the steps to get there. You might feel like that today. Don't worry. We're going to get real practical about this as we close. Don't worry. We're going to talk about how we can break up that hardness in our hearts. We need to be real. Hardness, hard hearts come from a lot of places, right? There's a lot of things that cause us to harden our hearts, even intentionally. Number one, people. People cause us to harden our hearts, right? 
It's a nasty world out there sometimes. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is total crap. (laughs) Come on. Like, there are some things, nursery rhymes and stuff like that, we need to rediscover. There are some things we need to throw out and never repeat. That is a bunch of crap. Words hurt. People hurt. People's not using words, but just socially pressuring. There's so much hurt that people have against each other. We went through COVID. You know what COVID was? People just hurting each other all over the place. Then we came out of COVID, and we keep hurting each other. That's human nature. People hurt people. And hardness of heart is a self-preservation tactic. Hmm? Let's be honest. When that person's hurt you, what's our natural inclination? Come on. Mm. Never again. I'm cutting you off, right? Hardness of heart, that's self-preservation at its best. But in reality, let me say this to us. If God has our back, if God has your back, you don't need to harden your heart. He's got you, and he's got that broken relationship. He's got that situation that's bothering you. If God's got your back, you don't need to go into self-preservation tactic because he says, I've got you. No one can deliver you out of my hand. You belong to me. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Hmm? We're going to keep repeating this because in 2023, we look at our world and we see thin-skinned people waiting to take offense with hard hearts. But the Bible calls us to have thick skin and soft hearts. Soft hearts with people, with each other. How many of you guys know we need that? We need that in the church. As the church, we need that with our neighbors. We need that with our family members. I, we got family members who hurt us. We need to be real, but we need to let God do a number on our hearts. Hmm? Trusting him. Not taking matters into our own hands. People harden our hearts. Sin hardens our hearts. Sin hardens our hearts. When we hear the word of the Lord and we disobey, that hardens our hearts. David in Psalm 51, that incredible prayer of repentance, he says this. First he recognizes what the sin has done inside of him. The separation it's created between him and his Lord. And he says this, God created me a clean heart again. Give me a a right spirit again. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I need you. Don't cut me off, Lord. Make my heart soft again. Make my heart soft again. Sin will darken our hearts and darken our thinking. It leads us towards pride and idolatry, making even more space for the enemy's accusations, right? Because we know once we've failed, the enemy loves to come along and be like, you're a failure, right? It leaves us kind of feeling a little bit like that seed along the path where we feel trampled and battered. That's what we end up feeling like. What else hardens our hearts? Well, our culture of more hardens our hearts. Consumerism culture hardens our hearts. We want bigger, better, faster, stronger all the time. But I have just something to say to you today. You weren't made for bigger, better, faster, stronger all the time. You weren't made to hit constant accelerator all the time. We like to think that we can go a thousand miles per hour for a million years, but our hearts cannot stay soft when we're doing that. It's impossible. A soft heart cannot take the G-forces of the insane pace of life that we've embraced in 2023. It's not possible. Amen. Thank you, Lori. Appreciate you. (laughs) Let me just ask you this. Have you ever tried to listen to someone, truly listen to someone, 
you know, who are t- they're telling you something important. You want to try and listen, but you are late for a meeting and you got like 10 things on your to-do list. Tell me how that works out for you. It's not possible. We're in such a hurry all the time. We want more. We've been deluded to thinking that this is just life, and it's not. At least not the life that God talks about. When we allow the world, which does not operate in God's ways, to dictate the busyness, the pace and rhythm of our lives, how many times, you know, this brings us to exhaustion and burnout. That's where it leads us every single time. Because we weren't made for this frenetic pace. Jesus calls us to a sacred rhythm. He calls us to his pace. Matthew 11, he says, walk with me step by step. Go at my pace and guess what? It will bring rest to your soul. I don't know about you, but soul rest sounds real good. How does Paul end Romans 7 when he's complaining about being on this, this carousel of death? He's like, I can't figure it out. Who can deliver me from myself? How do I get off this thing? He says, thank God Jesus Christ came for you and me. Thank God that Jesus Christ came to be the way and to show us the way. Amen? Amen. In a moment, we're going to get practical. If we find ourselves having a hardened heart this morning, or we feel trampled, we feel callous or even numb, we find ourselves believing those lies of the enemy or just feel overwhelmed by, we can't figure it out, we're going to get practical about ways that we can let God soften our heart again. But first, I want to look at the second kind of soil. Second one I've chosen is the thorns. And again, I know I'm skipping ahead one, but this one is also easier for us to spot in ourselves. So what is it, the thorny soil? How many of you guys know that thorns in a garden tend to take over when you're not looking, right? Like brambles and stuff like that. And they're, they're no fun to deal with. Anybody else like frustrated by that? I was doing some gardening yesterday. I wasn't planning on doing this, but look at my arm. Like look at the size of these cuts on here. I hate thorns. They're horrible when you're doing gardening. When you grab one of those stinging nettles and it just bites you, that's, that's terrible. And it doesn't matter what kind of glove you're wearing, it finds a way through. I don't care if you're wearing four gloves, it will find a way through and embed itself in your palm every time. Thorns take over when you're not looking. It's my least favorite part of gardening, clearing out the soil of all that disordered stuff that's there. The weeds, the thorns, no thank you. So what is the thorny soil when it comes to our hearts? Well, Dave calls this a crowded heart. Crowded heart. The seed of the word is sown into thorny soil, and it sinks in this time. So, well done there. There's something positive. It didn't just bounce off. It actually sunk in, but it's not alone. It's not alone. As the seed of God's word and God's ways sink into our hearts, it's not alone. There are incumbent species there. And they don't like sharing. They're not giving up their territory in our hearts. In a nutshell, Jesus says that those thorns are like distractions in our lives. Distractions. He calls them the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And how many of you guys know we still worry about those things a lot, hmm? Anybody else like, oh, no, I don't have any worries in life. All right, it's good. Wealth still makes us feel powerful, like we can handle it all on our own, and we still worry about a lot of things. And to be honest, there are things in our lives worth worrying about 
things that are important, things that we need to, you know, put our em- emphasis and our attention on, like, hello, parents, your children, right? Those are, those are important. They cause all kinds of worries, right? Man, my kids. <laughs> but living with a perpetually worried heart is going to hold you back like being stuck in a thicket full of thorns. When that's the condition of our heart all the time, that is not God's best for us. Let's look at what else the word says when it talks to us about our crowded, distracted hearts. Dave points out that a lot of times, the thing that's crowding our lives and our hearts is other voices, other voices. Immediately, that makes me think of Genesis 3.11. In Genesis chapter 3, after the very first temptation, the very first sin, what happens? Adam and Eve, what do they do? They hide. That's what we do usually, right? When we know we've been wrong, we hide from the shame. They hide from God, but God, who knows absolutely everything, what does he do? He goes looking for them. I love that. He doesn't say, well, they screwed up. I'm going to write them out of the will. He goes looking for them when they're ashamed, when they know they've blown it. You know, God still goes looking for us when we've blown it too. We're still tempted to hide from him in shame. We need to run to him for his mercy and grace is so deep. God goes looking for them. They begin to explain to God, yeah, we were ashamed because we're naked. And then God asks them the most incisive, the most important question. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Who introduced you to shame? Who told you that that's who you are? Who spoke that lie into your life, and why are you believing them and not believing me? Someone in this room has been believing something like that for quite a while. I want you to hear it today. From the lips of God himself, who told you you were naked? Why on earth are you still believing that lie? It's not true, but it's got its hold on you. And you need to surrender that today and let him speak truth into your situation. Who told you you were naked? In reality, the voice of God in the seed of his word is constantly, constantly competing against thorns in our lives in the form of other voices that we believe. Other voices that we will listen to instead of listening to the creator of the universe. So I want to ask you today, what other voices are in your heart? What other voices is God competing with in your life? What other voices have you given access to your heart? When they call, they can turn your world upside down in five seconds. It could be a friend or a family member whose voice is loud in your ears. It could be someone on social media or a podcast host or a news anchor that you're listening to way more than you're listening to God's word. See, for every single one of us, there are voices competing with the voice of God in our hearts. Every one of us, it doesn't matter who you are. They want to come alongside and they want to drown out the voice of truth. The only voice that matters. And I don't know what lies maybe you've been believing or what you're being fed. But I can tell you, you need to kick some voices out of your heart today. Someone once made the example of like a boardroom full of a board of directors. Like who's on your mental board of directors? You need to kick some people off the board today. Because they're not bringing God's truth into your life. They're not pointing you back to the one who can complete you and fulfill you. You need to kick some voices off of your 
out of your heart today so that you can hear from the Lord again with fresh ears. You know, another scripture that puts a crowded heart in perspective is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says this, No one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus uses money. It's true of a number of things, right? I gotta be honest, in 2023, we're not trying to serve two masters, we're trying to serve like 1,500 at a time. That's more, more like it in our speed. And we've looked at this before, you know, most translations use the word money, but the original word isn't just about money. Mammon, the older translations say, and it's more than just money. It's wealth, it's possessions, it's property, it's status. It's an idea, an ideology. That it's a spiritual trap that's set for all of us of what it can buy for us. And it's so easy, how many of you guys know, for our stuff to own us instead of us owning our stuff? So easy for us to try and serve two or 20 masters. So easy for us to allow things to become idols in our lives and take too much of our time, too much of our energy, too much of our focus. John Mark Comer nails this when he says this, for a lot of people, things aren't just things, they are identities. Things aren't just things, they say something about me. He says, he goes on and quotes the paraphrases, uh, sociologist Jean Baudrillard, I don't do French, I'm sorry. Um, And he said this, in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. He argues that atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity, shopping has. That's thinking for a minute. Stuff. You can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. Right? So back to our parable. Jesus says these things in our lives, other voices, other pursuits, distractions and stuff, it's like thorns that rip at us. They grab on and they don't let go. And they kill off the good, fruit-bearing plants in our lives and in the garden of our hearts. They choke out the truth and the life that God wants to bring into you and me. So these are the first two soils. And they come really naturally to us, right? Anybody here like, yeah, distraction doesn't come naturally to me. I'm laser-focused at all times. No. Distractions come naturally to us. Busyness comes naturally to us. Curiosity of the lies of the enemy and all the other things the world has off, that comes naturally to us. So every single day, we need to start looking at the soil of our hearts, amen? We need to realize that every day, my heart may look like one or more of these other kind of soils that's hurting, that's unproductive. At some point, it will be hard. At some point, it will be worried. So we need to prepare our hearts. And the way we do that is to take conscious Willing action in our lives to prepare the soil of our heart for God. Because God's desire is to see us flourishing. God's desire is to see you fruitful and your life full of abundance and his best. He's made a way. He's shown us the way and we need to choose it in our actions. Not just up here, but start making actions in our hearts. When the soil of our heart isn't quite right, We need to hear again what the Lord said to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 4.3, he says, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. See, Jesus is pulling on an image when he says this parable. Break up your fallow ground, Jeremiah said several hundred years earlier. 
that fallow ground full of thorns, hardened, we need to plow that up actively in our lives. The hardened, dormant soil, we got to make sure we clear the distractions and we make it soft again. We tend it, we water it in every way. That's the action we need to do to make sure we're ready and receptive for God's word and his best. So let's get practical about how we do that. When our hearts are hard like the first soil, what can we do about it? When we feel like the enemy's been snatching away, like his word is just bouncing off of us because we're hardened, what can we do about it? I've got three things. And maybe you're there today and you're like, yeah, I feel hardened today. I feel numb a bit today. Three things that we can do if that's where our soil is today. Number one, we can recognize the work of the enemy and subvert it. We can recognize what the enemy is doing and come against it with all of our hearts. You see, Paul tells us, no, we're not ignorant of the devices of our enemy. I asked you earlier, what are the ways that the enemy pushes your button? What are the lies that you believe? And some of them, they're really big lies that are keeping you in bondage. We're not ignorant of the plots and the schemes of our enemy, nor are we powerless against them. You need to recognize that today. You are not stuck in a rut that you can't get out of. You have power. If you belong to Jesus, you have power over the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says this, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? Stronghold is when we feel like we're doing the same thing over and over again. We can't snap out of it. That's a stronghold of the enemy in our lives. When we know that that lie isn't true, but we keep biting it hook, line, and sinker anyway. That's a stronghold, and Paul tells us we have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That means the war is happening here. It's in your mind. That means you need to take captive those thoughts Don't let them run amok because they'll begin to influence your actions. They'll begin to influence what you believe. They'll begin to influence your life. Take those thoughts captive. Hold it accountable to God's word, to the truth of what he says about you. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition and the elemental physical forces of our world and not on Christ. I love that. What's, what's Paul talking to us about in all these passages? Ideologies. Other worldviews. We're full of them today. That could be a political worldview. That could be a different religious system. That could be just a blending of you do you and my truth and whatever else the world's trying to throw at our youngsters these days. There are about a million and one flavors. It's like Baskin Robbins to the next level in, in our world. You can choose your ideology the biggest one out there right now is the truth is actually in here, and people need to conform themselves to what I say is true. The first time in the history of humanity, that's what we believe. Never before has that experiment been undertaken. i got to tell you, I don't think it's going in a good direction. Ideologies, and Paul tells us very clearly, he says, people, this will take you captive. This will keep you in a stronghold. But we're not powerless. James 4.3 says this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, our enemy no longer has any right to our minds or our hearts when we belong to Jesus. He doesn't have the keys anymore. He's not welcome here. And you need to remind him of that. That's spiritual warfare, and we need to be doing that every single day. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. 
That's number one. Recognize that the enemy is at work, that he wants to come against you, he wants to hold you back, and stand up in faith against those elements of the enemy. Amen? Second thing is this. If your heart's feeling hard, what can you do? Make time for Jesus. I know it sounds really simple, but look at your life and tell me if it's simple. Make time for Jesus. So don't just clear out the lies of the enemy and the bad things. Be filled with the good that God wants to bring into your life. I got to tell you, you can't do this if you have no margin in your life. It's impossible for you to make time above 100%. It doesn't happen. We like to think we can give 150%. You can't. It doesn't work like that. That's burnout on the way. Like, that's a super highway to exhaustion. We can't go 1,000 miles per hour. We'll end up giving half of our heart to everything and none of our heart to God. That's what will happen. You can't do it. And I'm speaking from 35 years of experience. <laughs> I've tried. doesn't work like that. This is a daily challenge for believers in our culture to make space for Jesus in our day-to-day. You know, if church, which on average is every 3.5 Sundays for American believers, is all you get of God, how on earth is that going to compete with even Netflix in your life, let alone the 24-hour news cycle and those friends who don't believe in Jesus and your work and everything else? I'm putting this nicely this morning. What space have you given God in your heart? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to bring Jesus in the conversation? Are you making space to read the word of God, to pray, to seek him? We need to make space. If God wants to talk to you and me, and I believe that he has never stopped talking to you and me, the question isn't if he's talking, the question is if we're listening. If God wants to talk to you and me, would we even have a clue? We're too busy. We need to make space in our lives. So you might have some steps you need to take today to make space in your schedule for him. That's number two. So number one, take captive every thought. Recognize the enemy and subvert his action. Number two, make space for Jesus. Number three, to break up a hardened heart is something we don't like to talk about. Confession. Confession. Being real with God breaks up the hard ground of our hearts. Confession breaks up our fallow ground of our hearts. You know, repentance ain't easy. If it was, we'd be doing it all the time. The devil wants you to believe that to confess to a fellow believer is going to be like, they're going to just disown you and cast you out of the church and beat you to death with a Bible. It's going to be some big event that can happen one year or the next year or whatever. We need to be people of a regular rhythm of confession. That's what the word shows us. That's what we're called to be. Confession breaks up that hardness in us. Again, Psalm 51 with David, he's pouring it out before the Lord, creating me a clean heart. I have screwed up and I need help, God. And James tells us, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it's not just confessing to God. Confess to someone who you can trust, who's a believer, who can help you. James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. See, Jesus has already provided all the forgiveness you will ever need for every sin, past, present, and future, but healing needs to happen in your life, and it happens when we confess. Healing, softening of our hearts. Confession will break up the fallow ground in our hearts. So if you've got something that you've just been stuck in a rut, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's an addiction, there's a reason I'm so passionate about our follow-together rhythm is because we need a place for confession. Amen? Amen? So that's what we can do. 
if our hearts are hard. Now, what about if our hearts are crowded like the thorns? What are some things we can put into practice that will clear the thorns in our lives? Two things. Number one, just start hacking away. (laughs) Start hacking away at those thorns. See, God wants your heart. He wants to put his, his word in you and his life in you and his spirit in you. But God does not want to share your affections. He's not interested in sharing your heart. God is a jealous God. And just like sometimes there can be too many cooks in the kitchen, there are too many distractions in our lives. Too many other things going on in the soil of our lives. So if there's anything in your life that is not helping you get closer to God, you might need to trim some things back today. God might be speaking to you today about something that maybe even is a good thing in your life, but is not God's best in your life. It's time to get the clippers out. And here's the thing I want to say to you today. When you've got a thorny soil in your life, don't go at it with hand clippers because you'll get bit. All right? Don't go at it with hand clippers. You need power tools. You need to get yourself a brush hog and go at it to clear the soil in your heart. And I mean that because sometimes we hear something like this and we're like, oh, I guess I could, uh, you know, cut back on that one thing. No, you need to, like, go at it with a, a weapon of mass destruction to clear. The, I'm, I'm being honest today. Like, yeah, that's right. You need to dig it all out. Don't go shallow with it. Don't flirt with the thorns or you'll get bitten and stung. Take some gas-powered hedge clippers and go at the soil of your heart. Amen? We need to clear those distractions that so easily keep us entangled. That's number one. Number two, you need to find silence in your life. You need to find silence. You need to reestablish that secret place where it's just you and God. We don't do that at all. In fact, we're pretty much terrified of silence today. It's like the scariest thing ever. You know why? Because when we're quiet, all those things that we realize that we didn't do that we need to do come flying into our heads. We don't like getting quiet. We like being distracted. Distraction's comfortable. It's not healthy. So if you're not hearing the voice of the Lord, if you're not experiencing his best, you might need to start cleaning out and not stop until it's quiet so you can hear from the Lord. If too many voices is a problem in your life, you need to seek the quiet place the alone place with God, where it's just you and him. Believers in every generation have embraced this practice of silence and solitude. It's kind of crazy. You know, our world thinks that getting quiet and going away is either something for celebrities to do on a quiet retreat or a darkness retreat or whatever in the world they're doing nowadays, or it's insanity for you and me. But it's so good for our souls. So good for our souls and our minds. Mother Teresa said this, we need to find God And he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. Think about that. We need to find God, but he's not going to be found in restlessness and chaos in your life. You need to find that quiet place where you can hear the voice of the Lord that the word describes us as a gentle whisper, a still small voice. How on earth are you going to hear that when your life is turned up to 11 all day? Huh? If you're here today, and you're recognizing that your heart looks like this, and you want to go deeper. You want to go deeper. I just want to say, you know, we're going to pray in a moment. Come find me and talk to me. Just, if, you're, if you're here and you honestly feel like, actually, yeah, I recognize that heart in me, and you want prayer, you know, prayer shakes things. Prayer is our weapon which demolishes stronghold. We want to pray over you. So you can find us at the sides. And I'd also just love to share some things that can help take you deeper. 
You know, if you've got a perpetual struggle against hardness in your heart, or if distractions are everywhere, whether you're a podcast person or a book person or something, I'd love to put resources in your hands that are going to focus you on getting back to God's best. So come find me. Cutting out our distractions, silencing the lies of the enemy, creating space in our hearts for God. You know, these are the ways that Jesus modeled for us, aren't they? As we look at Jesus in scripture, this is the way that he taught us. And as we look to him and learn of him, he's going to create in us, again, a soft heart, undivided, ready for God's word, ready for his truth and his best. And as we follow God and his ways, God makes you and me a promise. Read Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's a promise we're going to claim. Amen? It doesn't matter what our heart may look like. Jesus can give us a new heart. Amen? We all need that daily heart transplant because we all get stuck in our ruts, unable to even get out of that cycle of doing the things we know aren't healthy for us. Thank God he gives us the grace. He gives us power when we're weak. And ultimately, as we look at this parable together, remember that it's God's action that is always initiating. God is the sower, right? He's the one who breaks up the fallow ground of our hearts. He's the one who specializes in taking our hard hearts and making them new when we give them over to him, when we go for his ways and not our own ways. Amen? So let's stand for worship. We're going to worship in just a moment. And I want to pray over you. We're going to have a good time. We're going to celebrate with our graduates and have some ice cream. But as we worship, I just want to say to you, if God is speaking to you about your heart, and remember, every day we're going to be one of these kind of soils. But if you're recognizing tendencies, if you're recognizing, you know, things that come naturally to you, take a step today. Don't just turn your palms upward and offer yourself back to God, but maybe talk to someone about it a close friend who's a believer, and just say, hey, I recognize that my heart is looking like this, it's feeling like this. Can you pray with me? Can you help me to take some of these practical steps that we've talked about? Sometimes the very best thing that we can do in our lives is to say to someone who we trust, hey, can you look over my schedule with me and help me realize what's not priority so that I can make space for God in my life? Yeah, I know it seems invasive, but don't take hand clippers at those thorns. Get some hedge clippers, right? Go at them hard. So I want to encourage you, whatever it may be today, you have an incredible resource to set you free in this room sitting next to you. You don't necessarily have to come to the sides and pray with me, but pray with someone today as we worship. Amen? Let's get real about the condition of our hearts because God wants to take us somewhere new. He wants to lead us into a life of flourishing, but we have a responsibility to prepare the way inside. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, God, that it never fails to transform us when we let it in, when we make room for it in our lives. And Father, I pray that for every single person here, that you would give us revelation today as to what's going on inside of us. So often, God, we, we, can't, even, we can't even say what's going on inside. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and just abundantly wicked above all things. Who can know it? We can't even know our own hearts, but you know our hearts. And you want to set us free. You want to help us. You want to come alongside. You've shown us the way to soften our hearts with you so that we can receive from you. 
so that we can experience your abundance and your best, so that we can bear incredible fruit. So Lord, help us to take those steps. I pray that you would reveal to us what's going on on the inside and speak to each and every one of us a practical way we can put that in motion today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.